Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. An action word. Did you know that? Oh, yonder. I'm not exactly sure what it means. Not many of us are pilots, one or two maybe, but we're probably not going to fly off somewhere. But God wants us, he wants us to be in action, not inactive. Can you say amen? amen? So, you know, I think that we need to think about that. What's stopping you? I don't know what's stopping you. I know what stops me sometimes. It's just a little thing called arthritic knees or things like that that kind of slows me down a little bit. But eventually I get moving, right? It takes me a little longer in the morning, but I do get moving eventually. I can work really hard for two hours, and then I need a 30-minute rest, and then I can get back to it for two more solid hours of hard work. But, you know, that's just life, right? But, you know, we can get into a place where we become inactive in the things of God. Here's a phrase, inactivity hinders everything and changes nothing. Inactivity hinders everything and changes nothing. I want you to think about that as I'm delivering this message today from 2 Kings chapter 7. This is a wonderful chapter. If you have time to go through it and read it later, you should. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a sea of flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall never eat of it. And in verse 3 it says, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said one to another, Why are we sitting here until we die. That's the question. Why are we sitting here until we die? Sitting, as I said, is not really good for you. And the purpose that we're preaching these series of messages for is to challenge the church to pursue God and do whatever it takes to move his kingdom forward. That's why we do this. We want God's kingdom to be moved forward. One thing that hinders our progress Actually, it does more than hinder our progress. Inactivity stops us cold. Can't do anything when you're sitting on your backside. Well, you can do some things. But you know what I'm saying. You can't be very productive. You can't go very far. You can't really accomplish a whole lot by just sitting around. We do that a lot. From the physical side of things, our article I recently read said these things. There is now broad agreement among clinicians, exercise scientists, and public health experts that moderate to vigorous intensity physical activity has a key preventive role in cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and some cancers. The fact is, we sit too much. Running magazine, runner's world. There's no running away from it. The more we sit, the poorer our health, and the earlier we may die no matter how fit we are. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, it's so bad that they say sitting 
is the modern day smoking. It can do more harm, as much harm to your health as smoking five packs a day. That's scary. You know, I think about that when I sit in front of a computer. I think about that. You know, I can't, I've got to get up and I've got to get moving. You always feel better when you get moving. If I get up and do my exercises in the morning and walk my mile and a half, I feel great all day. If I don't do it, I feel like crap all day. Excuse my language. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, all right? It, you just feel better when you're active. When you're inactive, you just get dull and... Everything just doesn't go so well. But, you know, in our world, spiritually speaking today, we are faced with a famine. There's a famine of God's word, a famine of love, a famine of grace, a famine of accepting people where they are. There's a famine in the land. And we're sieged. We're under siege by the power of the enemy. Satan wants to destroy us. The Christian name of people wants to be wiped off the face of the earth. Satan wants to destroy your faith. He wants to kill us and destroy us. That's what he's out to do. We are under siege. We got to do something. We got to get up off our seat and move forward. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, this is a life or death situation. This isn't a game that we're playing. This is life or death. You know, these leprous men recognize the situation. The thing that I want to point out to you, however, is that the word of the Lord came and the word of the Lord is reliable. You can trust what God says. When God says something, it will happen. You don't have to second guess it or think about it. Grab a commentary and find out if God says it, he'll do it. Is that simple? Is that too simple? I don't think so. I think God spoke a great word here through his prophet Elisha. Elisha spoke up and he said, this famine's going to end. This thing's going to stop. We're going to have an abundance and we're going to be able to buy stuff cheap. It's going to be good stuff, fine flour. We're going to be able to buy those things cheaply after this famine is over. And the king's armor bearer said, no way, Jose. This is not going to happen. Sorry, Eddie. This is not going to happen. (laughs) If God would open up the windows of heaven, maybe this could happen. And the prophet made a dire prediction to this man, looked him in the face, and he said, you'll see it, but you won't eat any of it. Hmm, Think about that for a minute. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. So Elisha is a man of power, a man of faith, a man of God. He is an action guy. You know, if there was ever an action figure, it would be Elisha. He'd make a great action figure. Somebody ought to invent Elisha the action figure because Elisha is a man of action. He does stuff. He doesn't talk a lot, but he does some amazing things. But as he started out in his life, he came through this interesting experience with Elijah. Elijah was the prophet before Elisha. And Elijah uh, said a lot of things and also did a lot of things. But one time he faced a life and death situation. He came against the prophets of Baal 
and he destroyed 400 of them with the sword. This is one guy with a sword in his hand. Destroyed all these prophets of Baal, tore up their altars, called fire down from heaven, and it consumed the sacrifice that he had placed on the altar. This is a man of power, wouldn't you agree? He is a powerful guy with God, and he does great and wonderful things. Well, just after that happened, Jezebel, who was the queen who was a very nasty woman, not a very kind person, not a very loving person. She was an enemy of the things of God, actually. Anybody ever met a Jezebel? I mean, if you really meet one of those gals, you're going to (laughs) run. You are not going to stay. You're going to run away. That's exactly what he did. He became afraid for his life because she said, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. I'm going to destroy your life. Just like you killed my prophets, I'm going to kill you. And so Elijah runs away out into the desert, sits under a juniper tree and says, Lord, take me. I'm ready to die. You know, there are some prayers you hope God doesn't answer. I don't know if you've ever prayed that kind of prayer or not, but be careful if you ask God to take your life because that is a serious situation. He just might answer your prayer. Well, he didn't answer his prayer. I'm glad God doesn't answer all of our stupid prayers because he knows what's best for us. Amen. He does. So, so anyway, he, he prays that he could die because he thinks he's all alone. He thinks nobody cares about the things of God but him. You ever feel like that? You're the most righteous, holy soul around and nobody else believes it like you do. Nobody else feels it like you feel it. Nobody else can talk about Jesus like you can. You ever feel that way? Stop right there where you are because there are lots of people that are full of Jesus. 7,000 people, God told this prophet, 7,000 people who have never bowed to Baal. They have never lifted up a sacrifice to Baal. He wants this man of God to know that it isn't over when you think it's over. Amen. I'm telling you, he sits under this tree wanting to die, but God won't let him die. But he does let him go to sleep. And God will let you sleep too. If you want to sleep, God will let you sleep. You want to sit on your seat, God will let you sit there. If you want to do that, he will not push you too hard. You know, I often thought we should have a button up here on the pulpit that electrified seats in the church. And we could just push a button. And when we want people that move, we push a button and everybody gets to move on. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And so an angel comes while he's asleep. You know, that's what people do when they're depressed. He's depressed. Anybody ever been depressed? Sure. All of us have times of depression. And he's depressed because his life is up. He figures, this is it. It's all over for me. God, take me out of here. I'm all by myself. I've stood for you and nobody else will. Take my life. So he goes to sleep. I I suppose he thought he'd die in his sleep. That's a wonderful way to die, I would think, to die in your sleep. You know, if I have to die, I wouldn't mind dying in my sleep, really, honestly. But he doesn't die. An angel comes and smacks him on the side. Wake up! He feeds him, and he goes back to sleep. Touches him again. Wake up! Get up! You've got to eat because your journey is long and it's going to take all of your strength. You've got to eat for your strength. So he eats and he went on the sustenance that God provided through this angel for 40 days. 
on his journey, probably still feeling pretty down and pretty depressed. Maybe his belly is full, but his heart is sinking within him. He doesn't know what the future holds, so he winds up in this cave. And you can read it in your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a lot of things in that chapter. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse. But God shows up for this man. God shows up and he comes in the form of a, of a great earthquake and a great wind. And he stands in the door, a fire comes through and all of this stuff goes on. But God isn't in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. And when Elijah walks out to the door of this cave, he hears this still, small voice. The voice of reassurance. The voice that says, you've got some kings to anoint. The voice that says, you've got a prophet that's going to take your place. And you've got to get this thing done. So get off your seat and move out of here. Get up and get going. That's what God's saying. Get up and get going. He's saying that to you and he's saying that to me. The kingdom of God is he's here for us to enjoy and participate in. We just need to get off our seats and get moving forward. Somebody say amen. amen. This is kind of a long story about Elijah and Elisha. But it's important to know how that Elisha is called to be the prophet. He's called because they take this trip and they, they go to Bethel and they go to Jericho and they go to Jordan and they cross the river Jordan because Elijah takes his cloak and he smites the river Jordan and it parts. And Elijah and Elisha walk across the river. Fifty sons of the prophets standing there watching them walk across this river. They go away. They tried to tell Elisha that God's going to take Elijah out of here today. Elisha says, just be quiet and leave it the way it is. And he stayed with him and he followed him all the way across the river on the other side. Elijah wants to know, what do you want? I mean, give me a break. I've tried to get you to stay back there, but you wouldn't. And here you are now. What do you want? He tells him exactly what he wants. 2 Kings 2.9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. That's all I want. I want a double touch from God. I want a double portion of the Holy Spirit. They say that he did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. He was a man full of power and the Holy Ghost. Yeah? He walks back to the river Jordan because Elijah's coat kind of floated down out of heaven when God took him up. Left, there he goes. His coat kind of floated down. Elisha grabs it, tears his clothes off his back and puts Elijah's cloak on and walks up to the river Jordan. Takes it off, folds it up, looks at that water raging past him, smites the water and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And the waters roll back. Yeah. He didn't pray, where's Elijah? Elijah's gone. You know, some of us just want God to resurrect some great holy man of God so we can get going. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus Christ is the one that's going to get us going. Yeah, amen. And so we don't need another Elijah. We don't need another man to help us. We need God's help. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? That makes the water roll back. That brings miraculous things into our life when we put our whole trust in Jesus. I'm just saying, God, help me to do that today. I want to I take the example of these poor lepers, four men who couldn't even go into town. 
They weren't allowed inside the city walls. They lived on the outside of the city. Everybody was hungry in the town. And they were outside. I'm sure they were more hungry than people in the town because there was nothing for people to give them to feed them. They were just depending upon other people. They're what you call marginalized people. There's a lot of people that are on the margins for the church. There's a lot of people out there that are marginalized. We just walk by them every day and we don't pay attention to them. Are you with me? On the outside. Unclean. Lepers had to walk around saying unclean every time they went anywhere. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Nobody would be around them. These guys are living a hopeless situation. If they go into the city, they're going to die. If they stay on their seat in the front of the gate of, of, of Samaria, they're going to die. If they decide to go to the enemy's camp, well, they're probably going to die there too. They came to this conclusion. Why sit we here till we die? We got to do something. We've got to get up and do something. Yeah. Hopeless situation. Hopeless people in a hopeless mess. The only hope was, well, we got to do something. What can we lose? Right? Life or death? Well, they decide for life. Therefore, preparing your minds, Peter says, for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your minds for action. Let's all say action. And here, here's what it means to me. Fasten your seatbelts because we are going for a ride. Yeah. Wild blue yonder, let her come. Let us get into the wild blue yonder. Don't let anything hold you back. I mean, you know, this situation was so bad that you could say it was a tough situation. But when things get tough, tough people get going. Amen? Yeah. Do you ever watch the movie Romancing the Stone, the, the Jewel of the Nile? In both of those movies, Johnny Ocean, an 80s singer, Johnny Ocean sang the song, When things get tough, the tough get going. Amen? Amen? Well, tell your neighbor, get going. I mean, seriously, is it true or not? When things get really hard, you just can't sit there. You got to get up and move. Get going. That's what these boys did. They realized this is a bad situation, but we're going to get up and get going. How bad was the famine? I'll tell you how bad it was. It was so bad that you had to have two pounds of silver to buy a donkey's head to eat. Yeah, I don't, that's not very appetizing, is it? You could, you could buy a, a thumbnail of, uh, of dove poo for a shekel too. Yeah, you ever eat? Yeah, I mean, it was so bad that people were eating donkey's heads and quail poo. Only it got worse than that. One woman came to another woman and said, we're going to boil my son today and eat him and we'll boil yours tomorrow and eat him. Well, they boiled the one boy and they ate him. And the woman decided, I'm not going to boil my son. I'm not going to let, we're not going to do this. And they called on the king for help. What, what are you going to do for us? Help us. This is a dire situation. 
There's a prophet, and I forget where it is, but prophesied that God's people would at some time sacrifice their own children and eat their bodies. Cannibalism was rife in Samaria. It could have been a disaster, and the king was full of mourning because of this. He said, there's no wine in the wine press. There's no grain in the grain elevators. This is hopeless. That was a bad situation, right? So what are you going to do? What are four lepers going to do about a siege and a famine when they are living in a hopeless life themselves? What are they going to do? Well, they did the simplest thing you can do. They got up off their seat and they took one step and they took another step and they kept going. And when they got to the edge of the Syrian camp, they discovered that there was nobody there. There were no horses. There were no chariots. There was no one. Their clothes were scattered all over. Their tents were full of supplies and food and everything. And they were living it up to the full. They were taking all of these spoils upon themselves. They went into that place when nobody else would do it. When the situation was complex, the Lord gave them a simple thing to do. Get up and go. Churchill said this out of intense ex, excuse me out of intense complexities intense simplifications emerge I would say it's a complex situation they're in and the simple thing they did they just got up and moved yeah that happens there's two there's a lady sitting right over there right over there in that pink sweater right there yeah she did the same thing. Hopeless situation. Doctor crossed her off. You're not going to make it. When she walked into her doctor's office last time, he couldn't believe it. She said his eyes popped out to it, into his hands. Because he said, I had written you off. But I want to tell you something. She got up and she did something. Amen. Amen. I'm just saying. I mean, you want a real life example? There it is, right there before you. She got up and she moved out because she had full faith in what the Lord was going to do. I tell you what we need to do this morning. We need to get to Jesus. We need to get to Jesus. No matter what stands in our way, we must get to Jesus. One time Peter was invited to come to Jesus. Jesus had let his disciples sail away in the ship and he stayed on the shore until a storm rose in the sea and Jesus came walking on the water. How many of you believe Jesus can walk on water? Amen. Jesus comes walking on the water and they're full of fear because they think it's a ghost. And Peter said, if it's really you, Lord, leave it up to Peter, mouthy guy that he was. Leave it up to you, to him. And he says, Lord, if it is really you, ask me to come out there where you are. And Jesus said the simple thing, come on, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat. I wouldn't have done that. I don't think I would have done that. Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. I don't know if Jesus backed up a couple steps or not. Maybe he did. Jesus does have a sense of humor, right? So he takes one step forward and Jesus takes two steps back. And Peter's coming. 
walking on the water. He was walking on the water. But then when he looked away from Jesus, this is so simple, Sunday school stuff. When he walked, when he looked away from Jesus, the storm got him scared and he became afraid and he started sinking. And Jesus reached out his hand and lifted him up. He said, oh, you of little faith. Yeah, if Jesus says come, you just got to go because believe me, you'll make it if he says come. Yeah. Do you ever wonder what happened after that? Do you ever wonder what happened after Peter and Jesus are standing there holding hands on the water? Do you ever think about what happened? What do you think happened, Dennis? Give me your hand. Stand up here. See, okay, uh, he's Jesus and I'm Peter. Okay, And we're walking on the water. We're going back to the ship and we're both on the water now. I'm not sinking now. Because I got Jesus by my side. All right? I'm not going to sink now because Jesus is going to lift me up and help me get to the boat. So they go back to the boat and they get in the boat together. Amazing. Walking on the water with Jesus. I can't believe it, you know? But it happened because nothing should stop us from getting to Jesus. Lord, help me. I'm preaching too long, I bet, today. I just feel good. I'm sorry. But divine intervention, to say the least, is unconventional. Would you agree? Divine intervention is unconventional. Four lepers taken one step at a time toward the Syrian camp, and the Syrians hear the army of Egypt come in. (laughs) They hear chariots, they hear horses, and they run for their lives. God takes four useless, marginalized people and makes them sound like an army. And they go into that camp and it's empty. And they begin to enjoy the spoils. Here's the amazing thing about these guys. Is that they would, you would have thought that they would have just enjoyed their moment of self-gratification. And just take all we can get. And, and you know, let's just keep this to ourselves, okay? And one of them says, no, this isn't right. This is not the right thing to do. This is a day of good news. And we can't just keep it to ourselves. We got to tell the king. We got to tell the people. It's not hopeless like you thought. God has opened up a way for us. These people have left everything for us. All we have to do is go in there and take it. And the king did send his spies in there. They found out, yes, what these lepers were saying was the truth. There was no army. They were all gone. Everything was there for the taking. And so they began to realize God had made provision. Why? Because Elisha had said, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. There's going to be plenty. You're going to be able to buy a Seven quarts of flour for uh, half of shekel, for a shekel, for almost nothing, really. Because God's going to bring abundance. But you know what happened to the man that didn't believe him, don't you? The people came rushing out of the gate and trampled him to death. Because the prophet said, you'll see it, but you won't eat of it. God's word's reliable. Can I get a weak amen? Amen. Reliable. God's provision is inclusive, not exclusive. 
Yeah, God says you will be my witnesses. God says to us as a church, get off your seat and get out there and tell the good news to everybody you see. Everyone deserves to hear the good news. How many will accept it is up to God. But it's not up to God to do the witness. It's up to us. We are his witnesses. We are commanded to tell people about Jesus. It's not optional. It's not just for some people. It's for all of us. The good news that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again for our salvation. That's good news, folks. That's the news that needs to be spread. That's what will bring marginalized people out of the margins and into the camp of Jesus. That's what happens to us when we get up and get moving. Yeah? Oh, come on. Come on, say amen. amen. I need that, you see. Isaiah 52, 7. Listen, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I'm going to tell you, God reigns today. God is in control today. We've got a message to tell people of peace and love and grace. We need to stop criticizing, stop bad-mouthing everything and everybody, and start lifting up the name of Jesus. It's not up to us to fix the government. It's not up to us to fix the president. It's not up to us to fix anything. It's up to him. He just wants us to take one step at a time and say Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Amen. Woo! Glory to God. Jesus said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, the protect, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You may not know this, but you have an anointed from the Holy One. God's picked you out. He's picked you out. You were once marginalized, but now you're right in the middle of it. You were once on the outside wishing you could get in. Now you're on the inside, but somebody out there needs to get in here. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. We need to get somebody saved. Amen. You know, we live in a town where there are lots of churches and, you know, we play this musical church thing all the time. You know, people come and go here one day and over there the next day and they can't make up their mind and we think that's church growth. That's not church growth at all. It's just repositioning. Amen. If pastor was here, he'd be saying amen behind me right here. No, we need to get people saved. We need to fill these pews up with people that have found Jesus because I shared the good news at my job or at the store because I wasn't just sitting around. I wasn't just sitting on the plane or on the bus while somebody next to me is on their way to hell. I wasn't just sitting there. I was talking to them about something good, something good. God is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise Jesus. Help us, Lord. I'm saying that. The question, is God's word reliable? Yes. 
Can you trust it? Yes, you can trust it. You can trust it. I love Romans chapter 10, which we read earlier. You know, I love what this, these verses say about the gospel. The word of faith in your mouth. The word we speak in your mouth. You know, we need to get the word out of here and in the mouth. And I'm not talking about confession now. Not, not at all. I'm talking about saying what you believe in here. If you've got it in here, you've got to let it out, folks. Amen? That's right. You know, three pieces of pizza and a Coke, and you will belch. <laughs> and someone will say, better on the outside than on the inside. Do, do you get what I'm saying? What we need to do is get so full of Jesus that it just comes out. We don't even have control over it. It's just like breathing. Here it comes. Jesus is alive. Jesus is in control. Jesus is the answer to your problem. You still believe that? I'm just saying, let's spread it around, okay? Let's spread the good news. Let's get up off our seat and let's get moving. I know you're old. I can't help you. So am I. So am I. You know, uh, just one little side note. We just read an excerpt from the paper Hartford City, Indiana. That's where my wife was born and raised, Hartford City, Indiana. The Blackford Bruins is the basketball team there. They have lost 76 games out of the past 77 games. Right? They found a coach. He's 83 years old. 83 years old. And he has inspired them. He found this uh, grade school kid that's a phenomenal basketball player. And he went to his folks and he said, if I take the job at Hartford City for the Blackford Bruins, will you folks move there and let Luke play for me? And they said, we will. If you move there, we'll bring you Luke to play. Well, Luke plays and he averages 29.5 points per game. He is amazing, a freshman. He's put Hartford City back on the map. They've won eight of their last games straight. So you say, well, what can I do? I can sit on the bench. No, this 83-year-old guy is not on the bench. He's up in the middle of it, coaching these guys. On lunch hours, he goes to the grade school and finds the best basketball players, and he has lunch with them because he's building for the future. What I'm saying to you this morning is you're never too old to get off of your butt and move for God. Amen, brother. So how many of you are ready to move? What? What was that? He just moved back to Mapleton. All right. All right, let's stand together. Just for a second, two seconds, five seconds. Jesus is real. If you don't know Jesus personally, I invite you to listen to that voice inside of you this morning that says, you know, I'd really like to have some of that, that life from Jesus. I really want that abundant life. I want life to the full. 
Jesus promised me that, and I'll take it. Will you just reach out there this morning? And let's just take what God has for us. God has hope for you. God has blessing for you. God has abundance for you. Jesus promised life to the full. You can have it. So will you bow your heads with me? If there's anybody in here this morning that really, really believe God's speaking to their heart and you really want more of Jesus, would you just raise your hand right now? Just slip up your hand. God bless you. I can see him. I can see him. It doesn't matter whether you're, if you're saved or not saved. It doesn't matter. I want more of Jesus. My hand's up today because I want more of Jesus. More of Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for these that have, that have made at least a step towards you today. I pray that we will just keep going one step at a time closer to Jesus. The closer we get to you, the closer you come to us. And we ask you to bless in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.